Hi, everyone. Welcome to Community Soulful. This week, we're going to be going over what is OCD with Dr. Tatiana Mistechkina. So today, um, she's going to be a licensed clinical psychologist. This is her specialty, and we're going to leave it to her. So we're going to get, kick off and get started with what is OCD. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, and I'm very excited to talk about this topic because it's something that's my specialty, but also something I'm really passionate about helping other people understand what it is and also what it's not. Um, so OCD is a psychological disorder. It's not an adjective that people casually use in our society to describe people who are neat or tidy or perfectionistic, but it's a real psychological disorder that affects many, many, many people. And people who experience OCD, they experience both obsessions and compulsions as the name suggests. And obsessions are any intrusive thoughts, images, or even sometimes urges that come with emotional distress for people. And compulsions is anything that a person does that can be either behavioral or cognitive to try to undo the obsessions, to try to escape the obsessions or to neutralize them. Okay, that makes sense. So we could all, when we think of OCD, we break it down into those two categories, obsessions and then compulsions. Um, but when it comes to both obsessions, compulsions, and OCD itself, how does OCD affect people? So what are some examples of maybe an obsession or maybe an, a compulsion that would be, um, you know, shown with OCD? Absolutely. So OCD can be something that can create a lot of both emotional distress for someone and also, you know, in certain cases, take up a lot of time and energy and kind of veer them off course from how they want to live their life and can cause a lot of emotional pain. So there's different types of OCD subtypes. So one type is more traditional CD, which we traditional OCD, which we see on TV sometimes where people's obsessions or things like you know, did I turn off the stove? Is my house going to go on fire if I forgot to lock the door? Is someone going to break in? Or if I touch something that might be dirty, does that mean I'm going to get some sort of disease and get really ill or die? And with those kinds of traditional OCD themes, some of the compulsions might be continuing to check the stove or the doorknob multiple times before they leave, leaving the house and then even coming back to check, looking at it for a long period of time, asking someone to double check for them, even with the contamination OCD example, compulsions could look like someone washing their hands over and over again, wearing gloves, avoiding touching certain things, taking very long showers and so on. Um, but there's actually another subtype of OCD that's less commonly known about, and this is called pure O, uh, which stands for purely obsessional. OCD. And in this subtype, people still experience the intrusive thoughts of the obsessions, but their compulsions look very different because they tend to be more kind of mental internal. So some common themes that I see in my practice are people having an intrusive thought, like what if I don't really love my romantic partner the way that I quote unquote should? What if I'm my sexuality, my sexual identity is not what I thought it was, what if I, even though I don't really want to kill myself, but what if I do? What if I want to hurt someone I care about? What if I'm a pedophile? What if I'm responsible for hurting someone? What if I'm practicing my religion the wrong way and I'm going to upset God? 
et cetera, et cetera. So those are, again, by no means comprehensive, but some just common examples of an intrusive thought that someone might experience that might get stuck. And all of us experience unwanted thoughts or images. That's just part of being human. But with people with OCD, they experience this kind of like a false alarm signal and they experience that thought. And then the amygdala, the part of their brain that's responsible for keeping them safe and warning them if there's something dangerous, kind of misfires and sends them this false alarm signal that there's something dangerous or threatening about having that thought and then tries to send them on a mission to get rid of that thought or to get certainty or to undo it. Um, and for example, with the pure OSEP type of OCD, some compulsions might be just spending a lot of time ruminating about the thoughts. They could be about trying to um, look for investigating, looking for evidence for these thoughts of being not true. It could be Googling, it could be asking for reassurance from loved ones. Um, so those are just kind of some examples of the different types of subtypes that people experience. So that's amazing. So when it comes to affecting um, people, OCD, like you had said, it, it really comes in two types, one traditional, two puro. And then with traditional, what we can seek is um, obsessions, which would be like constant cleaning, believing that if, you know, you don't clean the stove every morning, that the next time you use it might get sick or something like that. And then puro being, you know, purely obsessional compulsions um, that might be internal or have to do with like your own mental health. So what if I don't like my partner the way that I should or treat them the way that I should? And what if I'm not a good follower of this religious group um so it's a lot of you know how you'd said ruminating but i mean taking it back before we see all of these effects and signs how can someone be diagnosed with ocd so what are maybe some signs that someone would come to you for and say i this is the symptoms that i'm having do or don't i have ocd could this be something else or if a parent is looking at their child and they're saying, okay, I, I see this trait in my child, this might be related to OCD. Is there any common sign that might be shown across your, your typical OCD um, individual? Yeah, so that's a good question. And I mean, as we talked about in terms of meeting the criteria for that diagnosis, we need to have the obsessions and the compulsions. But what I would look for are compulsions that might be less obvious, that might slip through the crap through the cracks more like the reassurance seeking, the Googling, the ruminating, which might be harder to catch. But with kids, for example, they might pay attention less or ask the same questions over and over again. Um, so that sense of like repetitiveness could sometimes be a red flag. Um, this idea that even though we all experience these intrusive thoughts or images, for people with OCD, they come with a sense of urgency. It feels like something really, really important and really, really dangerous that needs to be quote unquote, addressed right at this moment. Um, and then another big red flag about OCD, which I think is also something that makes it very fascinating is that it doesn't respond to the logical, rational part of our brain. So for most things that we have, we can use logic and reason to kind of help us move forward and make decisions and guide things. But for people with OCD, often no amount of logic or reason is going to prov provide them with 100% certainty to move forward, right? So even if, uh, you know, the person like, for example, like one of the common uh, 
prototype examples people use for OCD is like, what if, if someone experiences an intrusive thought of like, what if I catch AIDS from this doorknob? So, and then they might spend a lot of time again, getting HIV tests, avoiding touching doorknobs, washing their hands excessively. And even if they read all the scientific research and the studies out there indicating that that's something very, very, very unlikely, even if they speak to, you know, AIDS specialists who give them a lot of reassurance, but that's, they're very unlikely to get that even if sometimes they go and get a blood work and a negative HIV test, while that reassurance can provide them relief temporarily, often it's just that very temporary. And then their brains will come up within a few seconds, minutes, hours, days, another follow-up question like, but what if this was a mistake or what if it's unlikely, but I just made it more likely, or what if this test is a false negative, or what if I didn't have AIDS when I took this test, but this thing that happened yesterday has changed. Their brains are on the pursuit of 100% certainty and will stop at nothing short of that. And because we know that many, most things in life are not certain, if anything, it becomes this kind of never ending rabbit hole that they might go into. So kind of long-winded way of saying one of the red flags for OCD is not responding to logic and reason in a long-term way. Yeah, that is um, incredible. I am going to touch on how you said, besides needing the obsessions and the compulsions, it really goes also down to the Googling, the constant reassurance, the ruminating, the repetitiveness, the urgency um, that something needs to be addressed immediately, and how OCD does not respond to logic or reason. So no matter how much we're proven wrong or we're reassured, temporary relief is just that, only temporary. Um, So that is definitely a huge indicator of OCD that, you know, being said, it's probably not that easy to see right off the bat, but I'm sure within time it would reveal itself. But when it does come to OCD, I know that there are the compulsions physically, and now we're seeing more of like the mental um, side of it when we're talking about the ruminating and the reassurance. Um, But when it comes to pretty much how OCD presents itself. Are there other ways that are not so obvious that we would be able to identify OCD, whether that's mentally, emotionally, physically? Um, how does it present itself? Yep. So I think another, you know, as you're talking about it, another way that it might affect the way that people live their lives is when they engage in avoidance behaviors, when they stop doing certain things that they would typically do because of these intrusive thoughts. And that really varies depending on the person's theme, Uh, but that is definitely kind of a red flag for it. And then I think another sign, uh, a hallmark feature of OCD is the experience of anxiety. So often experiencing the intrusive thoughts comes with a lot of anxiety and then not doing the rituals is anxiety provoking, but even doing the rituals provides temporary relief from that and then often their brains want more and more and more. Um, so even though anxiety is a very common emotion that we see for people with OCD, uh, there's also other emotions like sadness and guilt and frustration that can also manifest as part of the package deal of OCD. Wow, and I, I'm going to repeat how you said um, there's avoidance behaviors because of these intrusive thoughts 
and it will lead to anxiety. Um, anxiety is so, it's, to me, it's amazing how many people have it and, you know, are talking about it or not talking about it. Um, it's crazy how it comes nearly with almost every mental illness, at least from what I've experienced through this podcast. So um, just having that experience of anxiety is not enough because you also have to have these avoidance behaviors, maybe doing the rituals, not doing the rituals, which all that brings the sadness, the guilt. Um, And then when it comes to someone dealing with OCD, uh, maybe they don't know how to deal with it. Maybe they're dealing with a parent that has it, a brother that has it, a partner that has it. What are some best pieces of advice you can give someone either that's dealing with OCD or, or most importantly, if you're from the outside looking in. So it's easy to say, Hey, stop doing that ritual. Hey, stop having those thoughts. Mm-hmm. But you know, those are just words. We're not the person. So how can we help them from the outside looking in? Yeah. So that's a really good point in terms of it could be very easy from the outside to, or even from the person telling themselves, like, just stop it. Don't do it. But OCD is much more complicated than that. And even though for most people, they're able to realize when they're not in the OCD episode, that these thoughts are not so logical or not likely to happen, but in that moment, they feel so real and it might feel almost irresponsible to not treat them that way and engage in giving them relevance. So, you know, I would say those are kind of two separate questions for the person experiencing OCD. My best piece of advice would be to seek treatment from a mental health professional. That OCD could be very, very confusing at first and very counterintuitive. But one of the reasons I chose to specialize in this is because we've come so far in the field of really understanding how it works and having very effective evidence-based research supported treatment for it. And I'll always be honest with my patients that the treatment is very hard work. And it's also really effective for the people who are willing to do it. And the treatment entails first really understanding how it works, um, how these misfirings happen, what kind of reinforces or feeds into the OCD, and then helping them develop sort of a set of tools for how to manage this. And the best, most evidence-based therapy for OCD is exposure and response prevention therapy, also known as ERP or EXRP. Um, And that's really important for people out there experiencing this or thinking that they might be experiencing symptoms of this to really seek a mental health professional who has this expertise because this therapy is unique and different to some other types of more traditional talk therapy or any other therapeutic techniques are out there, which can sometimes not only not be effective, for helping manage OCD, but can actually exacerbate the symptoms and feed into it. Um, and the therapy is really about helping people develop ways to treat those intrusive thoughts, images, or urges with irrelevance when they come up. And then also finding creative ways to do exposures, which is to go towards some of the things that are triggering potentially, uh, learn to not avoid them and to retrain their brain essentially to show them that even though their brain is still going to think that these things might be dangerous, that they're no longer going to be treating them as such. And also making sure to not avoid certain things that they care about because of the presence of these intrusive thoughts or images. So really kind of to sum up, the best advice would be to seek treatment 
with somebody who's licensed, who has this area of expertise. And in terms of for people who are loved ones, um, it could be kind of hard and confusing sometimes seeing someone they care about experiencing this. So I think also just helping them point them in the right direction of some resources that are out there and some therapy that's out there as well. And I think we've come a really long way um, on the internet with having really amazing things that people can, websites people can go to and books people can read to really become educated about this disorder and knowing that there's definitely options for how to treat it. Well, so I do love that. I'm going to stress how I really, my favorite part really was when you are speaking to a person that has it, education is a weapon. So the more that you educate yourself, the more that you're able to help point someone into the right direction and into the right resources, right? Because if you're meeting with the wrong counselor, if you're meeting with the wrong professional, you're really at that point, not helping the person. Um, so it's really good to kind of have a deeper understanding of, okay, what is the problem and what is the solution? And then for the person that actually has it, um, I'm going to talk more about how the exposure and prevention therapy. Um, I do like that you brought that up and I'd really love to know a bit more of why would that work better beyond any talk therapy for someone that specifically has OCD? Mm -hmm. That's an excellent question. So while talk therapy can definitely be helpful in general for people to have kind of a, a supportive private space to talk about some of their challenges with OCD, as we talked about, essentially what's happening is your brain is sending you a false alarm signal and it, the same and the alarm signal feels the same way as it would if there was like a snake or a tiger in the room with you that your brain is doing what it thinks is a responsible job in warning you of that danger. And it feels very real and it feels very relevant. So in that moment, um, even though the natural instinct is to try to use logic and reason to respond to that, to kind of quote unquote negate that threat, that actually is very counterproductive because that false alarm signal in the amygdala is not communicating with the logical, rational part of our brain in a sustainable way. And if anything, sometimes the more we try to use logic and reason to get out of it, the more likely the brain is going to think like, oh, I'm doing such a great job warning this person, look at how much time and energy they're spending engaging with this thought, trying to keep themselves safe. Let me continue to warn them. So ERP is very different than traditional therapy that might, again, just create the validating safe space for it. Or even sometimes therapists might provide reassurance, like you would never do this. I don't think that this is very likely or sometimes in traditional therapy, there could be time spent talking about the past and how the meaning of some of these intrusive thoughts and that can, again, just serve to feed into it and treat them as more important than they are. And the reality with OCD is the content doesn't matter whether someone's having the intrusive thoughts about suicide, homicide, religion, pedophilia, getting some sort of disease, they're all different variations of the same thing, which is their brain sending them on a mission to try to get certainty. So instead with ERP exposure and response prevention therapy, the mission is really learning how to give less power to the content of those thoughts and not treat the content as if it's meaningful, which is sometimes what people in more traditional therapy might 
the direction that they might go therapeutically. So it's learning about how to identify these thoughts as just thoughts, how the feelings is just feelings, how to create separation and independence from them, and how to get more present in the life that we're living and just finding creative ways to do so. And in addition to ERP, Exposure and Response Prevention Therapy, ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, is also something that can supplement the work very nicely. Um, and this therapy is about helping people identify their values and the things in their life that they truly care about, that they want to stand for, and creating a map to make more decisions and create more uh, committed actions, as they would call it in line with those values, and then understanding some of the barriers that come up. And often the barriers for us to live a full values-driven life is experiencing unwanted thoughts or feelings. And ACT helps with ACT. You can really develop different techniques, like how to accept the things that we don't like and how to make more room for them, how to increase our willingness to experience distress how to practice mindfulness, which is learning to be more in the here and now of our lives, and then how to kind of diffuse and create separation from thoughts that are not helpful to us without judging them. The ERP and ACT kind of go very nicely together to treat OCD and help people not stop the intrusive thoughts or images, because as we talked about, those are just a part of being human, but to learn how to better manage them. And so that less of their life is based on whatever their brain is telling them to do in that moment. Wow. That is, um, that's a great way to kind of put the exposure and prevention therapy as well as the act. Um, I know, and before we started recording, we were, you know, kind of going over your experience and I was talking about how I can't believe the amount of education that goes into anybody becoming a psychologist, a psychiatrist, any sort of specialist. So when it comes to specialties in the field, if somebody is looking for somebody that, that specializes in OCD, what specifically should they look for? And, you know, besides what they should look for, what are your specialties in the field that made you choose, okay, OCD is, is, is the group of people that I want to help. And, and why did you choose that? Absolutely. So um, that's a great question. As we talked about before, this is something that I am really passionate about uh, throughout graduate school and my doctorate program. I had a very strong foundation in cognitive behavioral therapy in general and some experiences with OCD, but I really kind of dove into the deep end with it on my internship and my postdoctoral fellowship where I worked with Dr. Steve Phillipson, who's um, kind of very, an expert in this field and got to work with a lot of patients with this disorder. And I fell in love with it because I thought that it was a, just really fascinating seeing so many people who are really kind of generally able to use logic and reason in their lives in very effective ways, but kind of having this blind spot for whatever their OCD theme was for all of that kind of going out the window. And what I really love about this disorder is that how far we come in understanding it and having effective therapy. And it's just so reinforcing for me to see people who are willing to do the hard work, kind of get their lives back on a week to week basis and learn how to be, have space from OCD and how to decrease the amount of relevance that it has in their life or decrease the amount of decisions that it affects and live freer and richer lives. Um, so I think that was that question. And um, 
the other question that you had was, oh, my specialties in this field, which is what I was telling you about before in general, you know, my practice, uh, which is called CBT for better living. We specialize in treating OCD as well as OCD related disorders. So things like body dysmorphic disorder, trichotillomania, excoriation, which is when people engage in skin picking or hair picking, um, and as well as all types of anxiety disorders. And what we do, what we specialize in is using cognitive behavioral therapy, particularly exposure and response prevention therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy to help people better navigate some of these challenges. That's super helpful. And, you know, heading into kind of wrapping this up, I mean, hopefully somebody's going to listen to this and they're listening right now. They're struggling with OCD. They kind of don't know where to go. They're at a crossroads. They don't know if they have it. They don't know if they do have it, um, but they want to seek help and don't know where to go. What best piece of advice would you give them? Absolutely. So I think that just knowing that there's help out there and there's amazing resources uh, to start with. So on my website, cbtforbetterliving.com, CBT stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, F-O-R, betterliving.com. There's a resources tab. And on that, I have a list of a lot of really, really great resources that are out there. Um, I think Freedom from OCD by Jonathan Grayson is a great book to start with to learn both about OCD and ERP. IOCDF, the uh, International Organization for uh, OCD Therapy is also a great resource to start. And under it, they have a find a therapist directory where people can look for people who specialize in this. Um, There's another great podcast called the OCD Stories, which really just focuses on these topics. And uh, Made of Millions is also a great website that targets providing information for mental health challenges in general, but they have a lot of great OCD information on it particularly as well. Well, thank you so much. That's super helpful. Um, I'm going to highlight your Instagram, OCD Anxiety Expert, and that's your handle, as well as your website, cbtforbetterliving.com, as, you know, primary resources. And thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I appreciate your time on the podcast and all of your expertise. It's been insightful to say the least. I'm really going to walk away with kind of the the exposure and prevention therapy being one of one of the things that are top of mind that I've learned today. Um, and before we wrap up, just wanted to say it's been absolute pre- pleasure getting to know you, uh, messaging on Instagram, and really looking forward to you know, having you on the podcast some other time. I know that you're also licensed New York, New Jersey, and Florida, which is, which is great. Um, But really, thank you so much for coming on. And we really appreciate the time today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure.